0: So hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the Living the Dream podcast, a podcast for real estate agents that discusses strategies to grow your business to its maximum potential, while at the same time making sure that you're in control of your career and have the time to live a balanced life. So I'm Linus Killius, Head of Business Development at Homania, and with me, as always, is the co-host of the podcast and broker and general manager of Century 21 Heritage Group, Aaron Richardson. Aaron, how's it going? Great, Linus. How are you? <laughs> Not too bad. I actually, uh, my car last night started having issues. Have you ever had that feeling that your car is about to kick the bucket? Like it, it, nothing's wrong with it quite. I mean, it's, it's almost 300,000 kilometers in the car. So I feel like it's like nearing oh, the wow. end of its life, but, um, I've I'm starting to get that feeling. I was driving to hockey last night and one of my headlights burnt out on the drive, which usually wouldn't be a problem. but. The other headlight was already burnt out, so I had I had no headlights <laughs> in the middle of the night. I had to drive oh, no. half the way with my high beams on, um, which I'm sure annoyed the hell out of a, you know, quite a few drivers coming the opposite direction for me. But and this morning I heard like a little bit of a whistling coming of the back and like shaking a little bit more than usual. So I'm doing a lot better in my car is needless to say. <laughs> nice. Oh, that's
1: great. Well, I hope you get your car fixed.
2: <laughs> I could absolutely relate to that because I had uh our our family suburban, which was not a pretty vehicle, died unceremoniously the other week, like maybe just a week ago. So, yeah, it had three hundred and forty two thousand kilometers on it. So, yeah,
0: you can like you can feel it coming. It's almost like you have a yeah, sense yeah. for your car after you've got it for a, like a long enough a period of time. You you know when it's about to go on you. Yeah. But uh, I I think I'm getting a little too deep into that. So (laughs) today what we're gonna be talking about on the real estate podcast, this isn't an auto podcast, is professional insurance. In order to sell real estate, you need to have it. It's a necessary evil that covers you if you make any mistakes when you're representing your clients and transactions, right? Well, it's a great safety blanket. You still need to make sure that you're careful to take steps to avoid opening yourself up to litigation. And the event that that happens, You want to make sure that you're properly covered by your insurer. So on the show today, we're going to cover two specific insurance related situations that almost every agent will come across at some point in their career and discuss the best courses of action and potential pitfalls. For instance, what happens if you're both a client and the realtor in a transaction? It turns out that representing yourself as a realtor when buying or selling your own home can lead to some unexpected situations when it comes to your professional liability insurance. If you make a mistake, can you sue yourself for damages? I don't know. That's why we bring our guest today. But the other situation too that we're going to be talking about maybe representing a client that's buying or selling a property that has an illegal second suite or basement apartment. I mean, having a property with an apartment can be a great way to supplement income on a a, a, a very attractive selling feature on a listing. The only problem is that so many apartments aren't registered or just flat out illegal. So bringing them up to code and registering them is obviously can be a very cumbersome, potentially very expensive process. So a lot of people just opt to not worry about that, sell a property as it is and turn a blind eye to to the issue and hope it doesn't come back to bite them at the end of the day. So if you're representing a client looking to turn this blind eye, how do you handle this? What are the liabilities to both the client and to you as a realtor and what sort of risks involved? And there's no one better to talk to this about than Ryan Durrell. Ryan is Exema's principal broker, CIO, and principal of the risk management, sorry, risk and insurance management service practice. Ryan has over fifteen years of actuarial general insurance and risk management experience and operates in each of the actuarial, brokering, underwriting, and management areas. Welcome to the show, Ryan.
2: Thanks very much for having me. I am really excited to talk about my business, which is apparently a necessary evil. <laughs> <laughs> That's I've a never good heard thing. insurance called evil right to my face before, but <laughs> only behind my back.
1: Only, only <laughs> on the show. Yeah, no, I was going to say. I mean, a lot of the uh, a lot of the uh, uh, viewers right now might say, "Oh, insurance is on this week," uh, I'm, you know that's boring. But we've had some really good conversations, Ryan, the two of us, and I uh, love to bring it to the podcast because these are great issues that, like uh, Linus says, comes up so often. So I appreciate you having me on.
2: Oh, thank you. Well, I think what's what's interesting about the insurance program is let's let's just get it out out front. We are. We are the managers for the RICO insurance program, but we are not RICO. And our position on issues is distinctly different from the RICO, you know, uh, the ethics side of things and the registration process and so on. So when you talk to us as your insurer. Um, And if you call in and have a question, then you'll reach uh, either me or my colleague, Megan, and we'll field your your question. If you have a claim, then you're going to go to the claims department, which is separate and uniquely different from me. Um, And I don't have you know, insights. Uh, sorry, I don't have input into the way claims are managed. Um, all I can do is advocate on your behalf. So look at me as your point of contact for questions. If you're having any service issues or or so on, then talk to me about it. If you're in a claim scenario, you'll already have contacts within the program on the claim side, which is separate. And we do not um, we do not discuss our claims issues with Rico on a you know on a names basis. Of course, they 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 have great oversight over the program, and we'll share with them high-level stats because that's important for them um, to to help us risk manage and so on. Um, But we don't have that sort of open relationship with rico on you know claims issues at, at an individual level unless you call rico and say i have this claims issue and i want you to you know reach out to the insurer on my behalf in which case you, you've you've asked them to do that and, and we'll discuss it at a high level as long as it doesn't compromise the claim so um that was a probably about as boring as the insurance discussion i'll get today i hope but, <laughs> but uh, you must
1: get that a lot you I must do. get a yeah. lot of people calling and talking to you and they're almost saying, well, you, you know, uh, and almost assuming you're RICO. I mean, that yeah. whenever you're dealing with something, you're always thinking you're dealing with RICO. And meanwhile, there's different components that they bring in third
2: parties, brokers and people that manage the uh, RICO insurance. So we and and our advice is completely different. So my advice uh, about how to handle a situation will be totally different from Rico's, not because we're not in sync and want the best for people, but because Rico's mandate is consumer protection and it's uh, about following the regs and all guided by Reba 2002, whereas my advice is coming from a risk management standpoint, from a this is what claim scenarios come up um, and how you should best manage them to avoid them. Um, which will not necessarily jive with. Like Rick will say, you can do this. And I'll say, you should never do that. Um, And that's okay because they're two different perspectives.
1: Now you, you had actuary and you in some of the stuff that uh, Linus was talking about. I I learned a long time ago what that was because I had a guy I went to school with and uh, he was really good at math, like really good. Does that mean you're really good at math? Uh, <laughs> I've I've been
2: called that before. I've also been called worse <laughs> to my face, but um, <laughs> I used to be. I started in the industry in the insurance industry on the actuarial practice side, um, and I had gone down that path, and then and then moved into you know general insurance brokerage and insurance program management, and our firm, um, which which for the purposes of program management we call Alternative Risk Services, that'll be the name that registrants are familiar with. we, we manage insurance programs. We manage insurance companies. We are not a typical insurance broker. So we provide a whole suite of, of uh, services to the program, which are not traditional broker. And if you call me and you say, hey, Ryan, I need insurance for this reason, you're going to get a completely unsalesy view of, you know, yes, buy that. Don't buy that. You don't need this. Like, because that's, you know, that's, I'm not here to sell you more policies. So not, not an insurance broker in the traditional sense.
0: Well, you've made me a lot more comfortable talking to you with all those fine points (laughs) and disclaimers too. I feel like we're getting a nice unbiased opinion, which I I know is what most people want to hear as well. So let's get into the meat of the show. The first thing, I mentioned off the top that we want to talk about today is the situation where you're, sell- as a realtor, you're selling your own home and what kind of pitfalls that brings along with it. Now, I'm going to turn to Aaron first, uh, being a manager of realtors. And if, Aaron, I came to you and I said, Hey, Aaron, I'm thinking of selling my own home
1: as a realtor, like, is that, would you say that's a good idea? I'd say you're crazy. Um... You know, plumbers have the worst plumbing and, you know, maybe insurance people have the worst insurance. Not, I mean, from Ryan's standpoint, I'm sure you have good insurance, but um, realtors are, uh, yeah, I've, I've bought and sold many homes and I've never used uh, myself to do that. I've always had somebody that look after it. And, and just from a sales perspective, not from a liability perspective, from, from a sales perspective, um, we feel that, uh, yeah, it's hard to sell your own home. I mean, uh, you know, to look at your home from the eyes of a buyer, you're just not going to be able to get that perspective, uh, whether it be from a staging standpoint, whether it be from, uh, I mean, when I went to sell my house, I actually undervalued it. I said, you know, this was maybe eight years ago when I sold uh, my last house. And uh, the guy that looked after the sale of my house came to me and said, no, I think we can get $20,000 more. Um, based on this, this, and this. I said, okay, you know, give it a shot. And sure enough, he got me an extra 20,000. Just because I I don't know what it was and most, most sellers overpriced their house and we had that situation happen recently as well. And I keep telling people, guys, you know, there's so many different reasons, um, not just from a sales perspective. So I'm, I'm sure we're gonna hear from, from Ryan's perspective on the, uh, uh, you know, whether or not it's from a liability perspective, you know, important, but definitely from a sales perspective, selling or buying your own home, you need somebody, the personal attachment that you have, whether on a purchase or on a sale, it gets in the way.
0: Yeah, I'm sure a lot of agents might take the other stance be like, well, I can save so much money, you know, on the in commission fees. Like, why am I uh, paying someone else to sell my home when I can do it myself, right? I'm sure that's probably the other, the argument for the flip side. You think that and, that outweighs yeah. that
1: then? Well, and I, and, and, And um, let's say I would have paid the person that helped me sell my house, but I helped sell his house. You know, we we go back and forth and help each other out. So um, it's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be a cost thing. Right? I've had uh, agents within my office ask me as the manager to put go on and put my name on it. Um, now, they did it from, and this maybe is where I have a question for Ryan, they did it from a liability perspective. They thought by having their name on the listing means that they're negated in insurance because they're selling their own house. And uh, you know, after having spoke to Ryan in the past, that's not necessarily the case. So, um, you know, from a there's from a sales standpoint stress standpoint being subject or objective or not being of subjective um, it's just a good idea to to not be putting yourself in a position where you're negotiating a deal that you personally have such an attachment to well, Aaron's
0: talked to Ryan about this in the past, so how about we talk to Ryan about this in the present, <laughs> since we've got him here?
2: Well, this is the most common question we get. So when we get questions to the program, the most common question by like a long shot is... Hey, if I sell my own home, do I not have insurance? Somebody told me that, um, and uh, the, the fact of the matter is, no, your insurance is still intact if you sell your own property. Um, and if you call us, we'll send you uh, we'll send you an email and says all the things you need to do to make sure that your coverage is still intact, which is a whole ream of disclosure requirements from ReBA two thousand and two and the uh, and the regulations. So you need to follow those those disclosure requirements but assuming you do that then the coverage is not negated so you do have coverage i will add that this is the only province in the country whose insurance program covers sale of sale or purchase of your own property everywhere else in the country they say nope not covered flat out so uh, actually the um, one of the provincial programs, the, the the fellow that managed it, he said to me, "Why on earth would you do that? You're crazy." I think I actually used stronger language than that, but I'm cleaning it up for the podcast here. <laughs> um, nice, but uh, yeah, so you can do it, and then you'll find that we immediately say, "Please don't do that. That's just really not a good idea." So get somebody else involved. Um, it doesn't negate your coverage to do it for yourself, but here's the issue: is that you are now the seller. Uh, and the professional. And if you're just a seller like if you're just a you know a non-registrant selling a home, you do have uh, you know potential liability in selling your home you know failure to disclose some information or so on and you could be sued as a seller and your homeowner's insurance uh, may respond to that and provide you some coverage. but if you're the professional then you have RECO insurance and where is the separation between the two? Right? Can you really point to yourself and say, "Man, I blew that. I did a terrible, ter- terrible job as a professional"? No, you're probably like most people, not going to do that. You're going to say it was the other side, um, and, and you're going to be looking for the insurance program to cover your professional mistake. Well, if you had another professional in place, their insurance may respond. But you've blurred the lines. Where does you know? Where does it? Where does it stop, Start and stop between being the seller and being the professional.
0: Just to clarify, too, this is for Ontario, just in case we've got any listeners out of province. Yeah, right, right. I mean, we're, we're talking good about financial regulations and everything, just so everyone's clear on that one. Um, Aaron, I think you had a bit of an anecdote, didn't you, about someone who was trying to sue themselves at one point or, or something along those lines. You want to tell that?
1: Well, we've had these discussions with the, uh, the real estate agents. You know, I have, uh, you know, wife is a real estate agent. They sell their, sell their own home or purchase a home for that matter. And then something comes up. And they said, well, yeah, I, you know, yeah, there was issues, let's say, in the basement or whatever it is. Um, and then the husband uh, husband says to the wife, well, you know, I, I know you can't sue yourself, but what if I sue you? You know, and and they, so people try and get around um you know, having the registrant be the person that represented themselves, and then have you know a, a spouse try and sue to, to get the Rico insurance, you know, to represent them. I, you know, these are just stories that you hear people go through, and uh, and of course that's probably why why Ryan gets so many calls on this is they want to make sure, you know, that one they're protected, but I mean, do you have people that are trying to take advantage of the system too?
2: Ryan? Well, the the insurance program is is for all of um, the Ontario realtors, right? Or or registrants as we call them, but uh you know, it, it you're forced to buy it from Rico, right? It's part of part of your registration process. Um and as such it takes a different view on things than say a standard insurer would. So, um we need to look at it from a fairness perspective. Would would you feel good if somebody sold their own home and they didn't disclose that the parking was not a legal parking spot, downtown Toronto, made extra money, and then the insurance program came in and paid the whole claim uh from from the buyer who found out it was an illegal parking spot, saying, My I overpaid because this parking's not legal. Should the insurance program come in and cover the cost of paying for that, you know, non-disclosure about illegal parking? I think you'd feel pretty angry if you're like, no. That scenario is not right. Um, if it was a standard insurer, they might pay it because economically it made sense to do that. But we we feel you'd have to sort of take it to the mat and say, you know what, this is your responsibility as a seller. Um, I know you acted as a professional, but you don't ask yourself whether parking is legal or not legal. So getting back to the where's the line between professional and seller um, should we pay $100,000 to the buyer on behalf of a registrant who sold their own home? Or should we say, nope, not covered? Which, which position would you take from an outside view? Now, you might say, well, I'm really pissed up my insurance company for not covering this loss because I just made a mistake. I was like, well, did you really make a mistake or did you do it and make an extra $100,000 on your sale? And if you got in front of a court, what do you think the court's going to think? oh, well, I'm a professional re- real realtor and I sold my own home and I didn't disclose this very material fact, but it was for realsies, a real accident. I didn't mean to do it. I mean, <laughs> no court in the land is going to be, oh yeah, no, that makes sense for sure. You didn't mean to make an extra hundred thousand dollars. So this is why we're saying, you know what, just avoid the minefield, hire somebody in your office, a friend, you know, make a friendly deal with with uh, with somebody else, and put somebody else between you and the sale.
1: So, uh, where is that legal liability um, with regards to ne- negligence um, drawn? You know, if an ag- if if an agent makes a mistake and it's a mistake they didn't mean to make, I mean, you're covered typically, and you can tell me from an insurance standpoint. But if you, you know, completely negligent, you should have known better. Um, you know, the rules are there, and you blatantly. You know, broke a rule. Um, at what point in time does the insurer say, "Sorry, you know,
2: you should have known better"? Well, the first, I believe, it's the first exclusion in the policies for fraud. And essentially, if you just if you're just willfully negligent uh, or fraudulent, then we don't owe you coverage. So, um, that's where the line is. If it, if it becomes obvious that somebody willfully lied because they thought their insurance was going to clean it up and fix it, we don't have an obligation to protect you. So there is a line, um, where it is exactly, uh, I'll I'll borrow a line from one of the program lawyers who will always respond with, well, it depends because every claim is completely different. Um, and there are all sorts of nuances. So I can't say, you know, if you do this, then covered, And if you do that, then not covered. Um, but there, you know, if you have to ask, I like Aaron, you've told me this line before. If you have to ask, you should probably not do it. Right. Should I be <laughs> yeah. doing this? Probably not then. Um,
1: yeah. But as an agent, like an agent walks into my office and says, Aaron, I'm selling um, somebody's house. I purchased them my house a couple of weeks ago and, uh, and now we have to sell their house. If it doesn't sell, you know, am I in trouble? And I said, well, did you just you know, make sure and explain to the, uh, to the person purchasing and now selling their house that if they didn't sell their house, they're gonna be in a, in a tough position and that you're not suggesting they do that? We have an ARIA form for that to disclose. And I said, did you fill out the form and make sure that uh, they explain the risks and that they're not taking your advice to put it on the market? And uh, they said, well, I forgot to have them sign that. You know, and I said, "Well, they're kind of being neg- negligent because they should have had them sign up. We teach that and train that, and they should have known that." But it was a it was a mistake. They didn't have them sign He, he said he did tell them the the risks, so I don't think he was negligent, but he didn't have them write it down.
2: That's an error or omission. That's what the coverage is for. It's That's right. for legitimate mistakes, yeah. and people make them. And most of the calls we get, uh, where it's somebody who's you know got the sense that something's coming forward. Um, they'll usually lead in with, I've been at this for 20 years, and I've never had something like this happen. And it's like, well, that's pretty much everybody's story. Uh, I, 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 my personal, uh, and I mean, I mean, my personal view is registrants are amazing at what they do, broadly speaking, amazing. And the insurance is there for mistakes. And And it's not like there's a group of people who just claim all the time and, and just don't know what they're doing, you're more likely, this is an unpopular view, but I usually present this when we do presentations to brokerages and larger groups, you're more likely to have a claim the longer you've been at it. So if if you get 20 years into your career and you haven't had a claim yet, I mean, this is not how stats work, but you're, you know, it's not like you're due, but you're now more likely to have a claim than somebody that just started. And people say- And, well, and if know, they do a
1: lot more business, you know, I've got top producers selling 100, 100 homes a year, and I'm like, well, guess what? The numbers are gonna work against you at some point in time because you're gonna
2: run into some problems eventually because you do so much business. That That's it, the odds get greater. The, if you've been at it for a long time, you're really good at what you do, right? It, it, experience is huge, so you get really good, which means your clients expect more from you, they bring you the bigger deals, they ask you to do the more complicated things, You know, they're savvy purchasers or sellers, Um, you're going to get in situations that are more complicated and they're more likely to give rise to a claim. If you're the newbie who's just, you know, doing this, the simple stuff um, and working under supervision, yeah, you're more likely to make a mistake from the standpoint of lack of experience, but you're also not going to be in, you know, put in situations where you're going to be out of your depth as often.
0: So the more important question. Ryan are you ready ready for this one I' I hear, oh, you a, I hear you make a good pizza you want to tell me about that ah
2: yeah yeah Aaron and I uh, are, are, are total pizza nerds that's kind of one of the things <laughs> that, that that makes us buddies so um, yeah I, I got pretty pretty deep into it uh, a few years back and, and just kept kept honing the skills but uh, I've learned a lot since since Aaron and I started sharing dough recipes and so on techniques.
1: I met Ryan uh, where we cottage and uh, Ryan's a couple of cottages down. It was just, it was crazy because wow, you're in real estate. Oh yeah, I'm in real estate too, sort of. And uh, we had those discussions, had some great, great discussions over a campfire uh, with regards to some of the different, uh, you know, obviously the stuff that we deal with every single day. And I, you know, pick Brian's brain all the time. But uh, as soon as uh, a a wood fired uh, oven was built, we started getting into the foodie stuff. And uh, yeah, cooking stuff in that uh, open wood-fired oven is is pretty cool. And pizzas are our no, number one thing, right, Ryan? Oh yeah,
2: absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you, you you can't bond any more over anything than you can over uh, good food. So, just making good food and sharing good food is uh, really a, a like a foundation for any good relationship. That's my that's my piece of non-insurance advice to anybody. <laughs>
0: That's my big takeaway from the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start moving on to the second part of the show because we did have another question that we want to cover before the show ends, and this one I've got a little personal experience with basement apartments because I lived in an illegal basement apartment for several years in university. My bedroom didn't even have a window. Um, the closet was also the furnace room, so it was quite you know the the, the attractive place to live, um, but. If you're a realtor and you're trying to sell a house with a basement apartment like the one I lived in, um, there's obviously things you've gotta take into consideration here. Like, should you even take the listing in the first place because of you know the potential ramifications that come across later? Um, we recently just sold my mother-in-law's home and we made sure that the, the second suite wasn't a basement apartment. The second suite was up to code. We registered with the town and everything, got everything done properly. It was really expensive and it's something that throughout the process, we kept saying like, is this worth doing? Maybe we just sell it as is and and just deal with it that way. Um, So Aaron, I know this is a big topic at your office. What's your Mm -hmm. office's policy on representing clients that have illegal apartments or second suites?
1: When we're buying or selling, and it, it really affects both the, the, the buying agent and the selling agent when, when purchasing or selling a basement apartment, is disclosure everything and to make sure that you're not making any representations that uh, one has been either. And then we use the term legalized and each municipality has a different uh, code and guideline and whether or not it's a registered basement apartment. And, and that can change. One can be very safe. In one municipality and need to be registered as as that. And another one could be registered and be unsafe. So there are many different issues that affect and safety is the main thing that we want to make sure um, happens. And also full disclosure, whether or not you're the seller making that disclosure to a buyer purchasing property or buyer making sure they do their due diligence to find out from the town and whether or not they're um, their purchaser knows and understands the risks associated with what they're purchasing, so disclosure is everything, and uh, and doing your due diligence to find out ahead of time before you make the purchase or or sell the house. So that's the that's the big thing we deal with, and we deal with it quite a bit. So if you do have a
0: client that just wants to sell a second suite as is, that's not registered, that's not up to code, what? do you typically tell your realtors to, to do in that situation?
1: Well, oh, if, 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 if there's something, well, I mean, I've made recommendations to have it legalized and that way the value could be more, especially if it's an area that, uh, you know, is a high, um, I mean, you're selling it for the value of, a, of an income property. Having that income property with a legalized basement apartment um, Got to remember, too, some municipalities don't allow the transfer of the legality so or the registration. So you have to look into that as well. It could be legal today, and then when it transfers to the new owner, they, they stop the legalization. They have to get it re-retrofitted or re-looked at, and it could be a whole list of new things. So there is a lot of issues that come there. Um, but we as real estate agents, as long as we do our due diligence to find out all the things and overcome any objections to the sale, full disclosure, um, people feel real comfortable about purchasing something that they know everything about. So we're good with that, we're okay with that. Um, We'll get into some questions about representing, obviously, the people that would be moving into the basement apartment as tenants in a minute, I'm sure, but uh, no, from a sale or a purchase standpoint, completely doable, just uh, make sure you you find out uh, everything you can and, and disclose it.
2: Can I jump in, Linus? Yeah. So, so from the, from the insure from the insurer's perspective, um, you know, there's nothing in the policy that says, you know, thou shalt not. Sell illegal apartments, you know, like that's not that's not an exclusion under the policy. And we use the term illegal, like they're you know some kind of nefarious business. Um, it means it doesn't meet bylaws, right? That's essentially the gist of it. Essentially, um, yeah, it doesn't meet bylaws, you know, or or to to not have you know, carbon monoxide testers in every bedroom. But that you know we sell and buy homes all the time that don't have them. So I just want to make. Make clear we don't cover illegal activities on the insurance program. So if you if you do something illegal, probably not going to cover it. But that said, let me just say where this really comes in from a claims perspective. We do have claims, and they generally kind of you know dovetail with Aaron's advice. The claims come out when there's an illegal illegal basement apartment, and um, and you don't disclose it, right? So somebody buys what they think is a great investment property only to find out that, you know, they, they, you know, the town comes along and shuts them down. And then the value that they bought is not there. So disclosure is everything. And from a claims perspective, documentation is everything. Write everything down, have everything in writing, have your clients acknowledge it, and so on. So, you know, Aaron's advice uh, to his agents is spot on with what would reduce the risk of a claim coming forward.
1: And and is going as far as as, even what you think you know, still say this is not a registered uh, legal basement apartment when you're selling, right? Still make that, even if it is registered sometimes you're going to say, listen, we can't get or make the, make the disclosure. We cannot guarantee the legality or the continued use of this basement apartment because you never know what the municipality is going to decide today or tomorrow or the next day. So, um, if somebody purchases it and you made that disclosure saying, oh yeah, it's an income- producing property, and you can make this amount of money, and then they buy it, and then the municipality changes hands, they they, I mean, they they could try and come after you, and they might might not win on that one. but, they'll still come after you and you still have to defend it. <laughs> and you don't want that situation um, to be in. So we always uh, side on the caution of saying, listen, we can't guarantee the continued use of that basement apartment. And we wouldn't even say basement apartment, right? We would say secondary suite, in-law suite or something. You know, as soon as you start saying the words basement apartment, that could even get you in a, in a bit of a, a discussion about whether or not you should have or shouldn't have even called it that. So. So that's basically all it comes down to is just
0: disclosure, just making sure that you, every, every party knows exactly what they're getting into and then we're covered?
2: Um, well.
0: <laughs> that's a, I'm trying yeah,
2: to spur discussion it. here. So. It depends. It depends. Yeah, it depends. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but we, we I mean, let me just put it this way. Historically, we have covered claims resulting from, you know, Perceived or actual non-disclosure of uh, the, you know, status of a secondary suite, to use Aaron's terminology, um, which means that we have responded. And, and broadly speaking, there are not very many scenarios um, reported to the program where coverage, you know, should should respond that that we flat deny anything. So the program is is really really broad and intended to be there for you if you make a mistake. So if you accidentally don't, you know, make that disclosure, um, then it's there. But if, if you just love going around uh, and selling places with illegal basement apartments, uh, to make a, you know, an extra buck and not disclose it, you know, our, our investigators are pretty good. They'll, they'll catch on.
0: Uh, so Aaron, if you are an agent that's representing someone who's looking to lease a basement apartment that may or may not be legal, are there any concerns there?
1: Well yeah and and at one point I think it was a year ago maybe a year and a half ago Wow, we did so many uh, representations on a landlord or tenant situation that would say not, not half our business but half our transactions almost at one point because we like to build relationships with buyers or sorry tenants and landlords because landlords own homes and they're going to sell one day or, or purchase more investment properties and of course tenants may purchase one day. So building those relationships is really important to us as real estate agents but at the same time the wall that we keep um, bumping into when we're representing a a tenant um, or the, the landlord is illegal basement apartments and again illegal right we always put quotations because if they're not registered it could mean that they're not safe so why would a landlord not register first of all right and most of the time it's cost Right. They they essentially they think it's going to cost too much to to legalize what they have, or maybe it can't even get legalized because of some holdbacks of height, size of the basement, or whatnot. But typically, it's not can't be registered because it's not safe. So we sort of define if it's registered as it's being safe, and if we're representing a, uh, either one of them putting anybody into a situation as as risky as uh, a basement apartment could be could be as. As little as a like a tin can in a in a hole with no windows can be extremely dangerous. So we really, really take the care um, to uh, give the advice to our agents not to represent somebody in an, in a non registered basement apartment, whether or not they're renting it to somebody or renting it from somebody. Um, and I you know we deal with this a lot. Um, agents often eighty percent of homes in Toronto, I think. They say on a rental basis are non-registered. So how do you, you represent somebody in the 80% of the market? You can't put somebody in because it's not it's not safe, and it's the safety end that bothers me the most. I would never want to be associated with helping somebody find uh, housing, and then find that somebody unfortunately you know either got hurt or as far as you know you know there's a lot of um, I've seen on CTV Global News basement fires and this is a big thing within municipalities and i would just absolutely feel horrible if i found out that we had anything to do with putting somebody in in an unsafe situation so it's a very difficult one and it's one that uh you know, it's it you know goes to insurance well, <laughs> as well.
2: Yeah, let's let's talk about the insurance for a second, just just so I can highlight a couple of, of things to be aware of. Um, one, Aaron, when you when you say safety and injury, um, it highlights one of the issues uh, that comes up a lot for 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 registrants who call in. First of all, you, you need to know that a professional liability policy covers professional you know professional services. It is not intended to cover um, a broad range of risks you have as a business, um, which case you should buy a business insurance policy or an office package, which would include something called commercial general liability. And that's for slips and falls and injuries and so on. So the RICO policy actually has included in it some bodily injury coverage, but it's quite limited in scope to try and address some some shortages in insurance that we've experienced um, in the the commercial marketplace because Rico does not have a mandate to provide um, general liability insurance. Brokerages, salespeople, brokers should all be arranging that themselves. Just like if you work out of your home, you should be calling your homeowner Uh, homeowner's insurance and saying, hey, I have an office and sometimes people come by my house uh, to meet me for business purposes. If you're not disclosing that to your homeowner's insurance, you might be negating your homeowner's insurance if you have a claim. So, it doesn't cover everything, and that's one thing I really want people to take away is that while while we have the broadest coverage in the country for professional liability for for realtors, again, this is Ontario, um, we don't cover everything under the sun, and you should really be buying this separate policy. So there's a limit of the coverage, which just increased to $100,000 this year for bodily injury. So somebody perishes in a fire in a basement apartment, and they say it was your professional uh, duty to protect me from that. The max we could pay is 100000 And frankly, I'm not even sure it would apply to that claim because the, the, the way it's structured is to try and cover you for situations where you're you know on site with the client, like attending at the property, which is for sale, you know now that it's you know that's been rented and you're living in it for a year and then and then something happens I'm not even sure if the coverage would respond so the brokerage might buy a policy that could cover you but there's several pitfalls in that policy that would mean that it wouldn't cover individual salespeople and brokers because they're subcontractors so that's pitfall one is that, you know the bodily injury side of things and pitfall two and this is just purely a risk management standpoint you know your reputation is super important. And this would be crippling to anybody's reputation to have been involved in this kind of event. So that's really something to take away as a business, like as a brokerage or as a broker or salesperson. Is it worth the risk to me to have my name splashed all over um, you know, uh, a claim against me? Because anything that's filed in the courts is publicly available. So if mm-hmm. somebody f- sues you for something, you can find records of it. And if they search your name on the internet, you might just come up. So it's it's a reputation risk piece that's something to be aware of. Again, this is not, you know, it's not a RICO issue. It's not about, you know, ethics and so on. I think if you disclose and you do all your due diligence on that side, you might be okay. I don't know. You'd have to consult a lawyer. But um, from a, just a risk management standpoint, I would say, think about your reputation and think about whether or not you really have coverage for the worst case scenario. And I'll tell you a hundred thousand dollars is not enough to cover somebody who got seriously injured or even died. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then the of course, the moral, moral side of things, I would just feel horrible, but, um, and I think we go into basement apartments and, and we can usually see some pretty big red flags as real estate agents right away. You know, is there a walkout? Is there enough exits? Are the windows big enough? Um, is there sprinklers? Is there car- carbon monoxide detectors? Um, does is, it a, is a gas stove in a basement with no backsplash and uh, in all the rest of it? Uh, um, so these are some red flags. And if, if, if it looks like a safe um, basement apartment, why would the landlord not register? I'm just, are they thinking from a tax perspective, maybe? Maybe if they registered it, you know, are they going to pay more taxes if the you know government knows they have a basement apartments, finished basement, all the rest of it. But I got to tell you, it's worth it. And we have a guy, his name's Paul. <laughs> and he's actually, he was Paul the fire guy. And we call him a lot. And maybe in the show notes, we can put his uh, number in there. Um, the reason why we call him is because when when somebody comes into our office and says, listen, I want to. I want to put this up for a lease. And, and it's, you know, and I have first question is, is, is it legalized? Is it, is, it, uh, is it registered with the town? And, uh, and they said, well, I, I, I don't know. And I said, well, call the town, find out. If it's not, why not have Paul come in? Paul comes in, he does a full report, he tells you what you would have to do to make sure it's safe. He's an ex-fireman ex-fire, fire and all the rest of it. So he does a great job of making sure that the, the, the basement apartments are, are safe. And if we can get a certificate from him saying that he's gone through and done all this sort of stuff, then you know what, it's, you've done your due diligence to, to have a safe environment. And it, listen, if it's a couple thousand, Linus, you had mentioned that uh, it was quite expensive to have uh, that basement apartment um, legalized uh, or, let's say, safetyed. Uh, and and maybe registered with the town, but in the end, does your does your resale go up? Does you know? Do you now have a happier tenant? So that they're going to be there. And we all know from a landlord standpoint, if you have a happy tenant, your life's happy. And if you have a miserable tenant that uh, starts holding you um, ransom because they'll you know tell the municipality that you're in an illegal basement apartment, they'll they'll call the town on you, and that and that's the reason why they're late in the rent. Um, we've had people refuse to pay because hey, why do I have to pay? You know, um, this is non-retrofit legal and then it could be, you throw all these words out there, legal base illegal basement apartment. So they use it against the landlord. So in the end, if you're a landlord, have it legalized, have it safety, have somebody come in like Paul and, and 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 then you mitigate a lot of risks, have a happy tenant, and uh, it's a great um, that would be a positive rental experience.
2: Well, my my professional liability antenna just went way up. I was like, "Hold on a second, you're going to go in as a as a realtor, as a registrant, and you're going to say whether something's safe or not." Yeah, call Paul. Mm. Right. Make sure call you Paul. don't overstep what you're. I mean. I don't understand the fire ratings of various backsplashes no. and so on. I, as an insurance broker, I could go into uh, I, as I do, I could go into any grocery store and go, wow, look at all of those compressors. You need a, you know, you need this insurance and you've got massive you know, products problems if the power goes out. But I could not tell you what make or model of fridge that is and what the best maintenance approach is or whatever. I, you know um, I would, I would throw in my last note on that to say, know what your area of expertise is and call Mm. in the right people when you don't have it.
0: A hundred percent. That's awesome. And it's something we talk about a lot, like you're a facilitator as a real estate agent. You don't have to know everything. There's nothing wrong with hiring a photographer to take photos, hiring someone, you know, for their professional advice in different situations. Right. So you don't feel like you
2: have to do it all. There's a great line that says, it's not what you know, it's who, you know, (laughs) you know, get that get that network of people, and it doesn't hurt to check and see if they have the right insurance too. You know we could talk about drones another time.
1: <laughs> oh, I just got one actually <laughs> um, <laughs> and and Linus, if you're ever looking for advice in terms of cars, Ryan is also a car enthusiast in fact, Ryan, didn't you do vlog blogs
2: yeah i used to I used to review cars. Many, age, many moons ago, I used to have a blog and I would review cars on my blog. It's, it's gone. It's gone now. But uh, if you search around, you can still see my my video review of of a few cars lingering about. So, Linus,
1: there you go. You got 300,000 kilometers on your car. It's dying. Maybe Ryan can point you in the right direction on a on a reliable car that gets you 600,000. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't
0: want reviewing my car. I don't think I would get a really good review being a 12 year old minivan. <laughs>
2: Oh well, I, you know what? I I've not met a car that I don't like for some reason, except for one, which you know, because I don't want to be sued, I'm not going to say <laughs> what it was.
0: <laughs> well, mine's got character, that's for sure. I, I do I do have
2: I do have my favorites, and if you're looking for a really really great car that kind of checks all the boxes for most people. Mazda CX-5, man, that car. I've I've, quote unquote sold more of those to friends and family and I've never regretted steering somebody in that direction.
0: Well, maybe it's going to be just a few short days before I'm going to be looking up that alley too. So <laughs> maybe a Mazda will be in my future. So I think we're going to stop the show here, just wind her down with a little bit of an outro. Ryan, thanks so much for coming on. It was a pleasure talking to you. Aaron, pleasure as always as well. Yeah, uh, If you like the show, subscribe to our show pretty much wherever you find your podcasts online, and please don't forget to give us a five-star review on those sites because it really does help. You can check out our website at livingthedream.show where you can check out and listen to any or all of our shows, or you can head over to our YouTube channel at youtube.livingthedream.show to watch our podcast video streams on demand. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us anytime at podcast at show. Aaron and Ryan, thanks again for joining us. Everybody, thanks for watching. Have a great week.